Gisław Beksinski, The Podcast. Part 4. The Critique, The Analysis, and The Legacy. The changeability in contemporary trends in the arts elevated discovery to the supreme aesthetic category, even though in reality, it is not an aesthetic category at all. Vixinsky ran counter and crosswise to such tendencies. No wonder that the critics often turned their backs on him, or at least distanced themselves from him. For them, the works of Vixinsky, their stage direction, and shoddy stenography screamed kitsch. Even more so, they simply compelled the viewer to embark on a literary interpretation, and that spelled graphomania in the full sense of the word. What's more, when the artist allowed himself from time to time to abandon monochrome and slam down stronger, grossly commonplace and primitive colors, there was nothing else for the critics but to dub Bixinski a player who appeals to the primitive layers dormant in his recipients, to their lack of taste, and penchant for horror shows. But the biggest problem was when questions were asked about the meaning of the visions that he painted. He was helpless when confronted with the duty of explaining what his pictures were about. He could have at least given them titles. Then, it would have been easier to decipher his intentions. The cross is one of the most common motifs in Bixinski's art. Images of the remains of a body hanging on a cross, skeletons, birds, or finally erotic motifs recur time and again from his early drawings on. The cross is a theme that appears in his photography as well. These works evoke contradictory reactions. Some recipients see them as a hidden confession of faith and thereby a connection with the religion in which he was baptized and grew up. Others see the very opposite, a profanation or at least provocation. However, when we analyze Bixinski's work, it seems that the persistently recurring motif of the cross is connected in a special way with seeing the sign chiefly as a graveyard cross, which directs our thoughts to physical death. The contradiction which we observe, particularly in his cross motif, between the hint of a religious subject and his distance from the Christian faith, was marked in a special way in the fact that he agreed to display his pictures in the church on Warsaw's Theater Square, used for worship by the arts community. We get the impression that while he distanced himself from all forms of religious devotion whatsoever and associating his work with religion, he was not adverse to other people responding to at least some of his work in this way. Presumably, if anyone had asked him to put one of his crucifixions on permanent display in a church, he would have agreed, allowing it to play the role of religious work. Thus, the problem of the cross in the work of Bixinski will remain a mystery, just as it was a mystery for the artist himself. Bixinski's way of looking at the world, close to solipsism, 
and the continuous misgivings that it might all just be, as in the poem by Edgar Allan Poe, a dream within a dream, leads him to an idiosyncratically understood metaphysics. His landscapes are a sort of meta-reflection, an intuition of existence higher than the physical qualities of beings, or perhaps only the dream of such a possibility. Admitting only to a set of doubts and misgivings, he would have repudiated every vision he defined. What we see in his pictures is identical, and at the same time, not identical with what our eyes see. A figure is not a human being. A cathedral is not a cathedral. A cross is not the cross. Even the suffering and loneliness we discern in it are not suffering and loneliness but perhaps only a dream within a dream. And when we wake up, we are still in reality, only it's the reality of another dream. Vyksinski often used to say that actually, he had never stopped being an abstract artist, even though he always used a legible form. He seems to have achieved his best results in works with the clearest and most defined form, he doesn't make as strong an impact when he wanders off into detail and lines that are not drawn precisely enough. He was annoyed when what people saw in his pictures were corpses and bones. All he wanted was just to be an expressive Vermeer. For him, the painting of that Dutch master was the hallmark of perfect beauty. You might say that the ruins of our inner world encounter something more beautiful, more moving, and infinitely mysterious. But is there an alternative to the scrapyard of our psychological states, our habits and handicaps, all the culture that we have created, those areas which imprison us? Does a better world exist? And can Beksinski's work be given an optimistic interpretation? He would never have allowed himself to be drawn into such a discussion. There's a lot to say for the observations made by Father Professor Mikhail Yanoka in an article after Bixinski's death. Bixinski is characterized by a vast, inexhaustible imagination. He does not copy or reproduce his pictures. Nevertheless, the things that delighted me when I saw them in Sanok reappear in all of his work. Their combinations of various components, as if the fixed range of motifs this artist uses, had been established long ago. Different combinations give rise to different entities. I suspect that they may have been created under the brilliant guidance of the artist's eye for visual art, but there's nothing about them to bespeak an inner key. There's only a sort of game. Everything in it may be interpreted in thousands of ways. It's in this arbitrariness that I see the great weakness of Bixinski's painting. Today's world, which has severed off the form from content, focuses on the former and appreciates art for its form. For me, it's an artificial hiatus. That's why, although full of admiration for Bixinski's form and talent, I'm very critical of his art. Here, I think, we come up against a tremendous problem, the burden of talent and creative sensibility. They may be employed to serve great things, but they can also be employed for things that are destructive. It seems to me 
that in Baczynski's case, we have an instance of the latter. Baczynski admitted that his perception of the world consisted only of doubts. He knew that in his art, he could only share what was in him. Therefore, it would have been hard for him to formulate a positive message. He observed his inner self and could not create a positive vision. All he had were doubts. Hence, perhaps, his well-nigh frantic aversion to any kind of interpretation whatsoever of his art. He was effectively an instance of contemporary man, on the one hand trusting to his reason and his own judgment, but on the other hand, feeling that whatever he came up with on his own had no real value. Thus, he was in a trap. Even if he tried to say something of any relevance, he would be afraid of appearing ridiculous, since he was not sure of his own commitment to what he was saying. According to Wiesław Banach, a Polish art historian and a director of the Historical Museum in Sanok, which hosts the world's largest selection of Wiesław Beksinski's works, Beksinski's art, while shirking the responsibility for its content, shows the condition of contemporary humankind. Humankind in the era of the death of God, and thereby prone to a vision of nothingness. What would his art have been like if instead of unresolved problems with a belief in God, life, the sense of action, he had had a faith that moves mountains? In response to critical perception by Father Professor Janocha of Beksinski's art and his legacy, Banach is firm and unapologetic. I can't agree that his art has a destructive effect, that it is the art of the civilization of death. Beksinski's diffidence in the sense of what he was doing, in the need for art, was a cry for the restoration of order, for the safeguarding of good, an endeavor to create a beautiful picture, a noble form, full of expressiveness and free of banality, accompanied by an incessant cry of metaphysical loneliness is, I think, a salient experience of contemporary humankind and may also have a cathartic effect. For we are all, each in our own different way, in search of the eternal truth, goodness, beauty, and perfect happiness. And I think this too is present in the art of Mixinski. It is an art of tragic inner experiences, only inner experiences. There is no physical, external destruction in it. Despite a journey over thorns, a passage through the dark valley, there was so much good in the man himself, and somehow it can be sensed in his art, notwithstanding all the falls in the ascents. This episode, which is part of a five-part podcast series, was produced and edited by Cesari Lersky and Diginet. The text is based on Wiesław Banach's essay, Used with Permission, from the Historical Museum in Sanok, Poland, and Bosch Publishing House. Text read by Phil Shane. All music was composed and edited by Andrea Centazzo. All rights reserved. For more, please visit www.beksinski.gallery. Albums with Beksinski's art and reproductions of his paintings are also available at Amazon.com.